All right. Welcome to the Jonathan Kogan Show, everybody. I'm your host, Jonathan Kogan. We have an awesome guest today who responded to my Instagram message and was like, you know what? I'm free tomorrow. War correspondent, journalist, amazing person, Michael Yan. Welcome to the show, man. Uh, thanks for having me on. I just flew into Panama. I'm in the country of Panama now. I'm in Dominican Republic this morning. Uh, Chuck Holton and I, a war correspondent friend, we were out on the, um, you know, uh, there's a border between Haiti and Dominican Republic on the island of Hispaniola, right? And uh, and they, the, the Dominicans and the Haitians have a long and fractious relationship. And so uh, the Dominicans have built a wall. It's kind of a minor wall by comparison to the wall that we have on our southern border, which is like useless, actually. It's not, it doesn't, war, doesn't yeah. do anything. Wars are, I mean, not wars, but I'm, I'm a workhorse, so I'm thinking of war. But they have, but walls actually can be very useful and, and very effective, not just walls, but barriers like the Caribbean Ocean or whatever, or the Med, whatever. But, but you have to back those up with manpower, right? And you have to back that up. You have to back that manpower up with policy, right? So the, the walls do work. People that say that walls don't work just either don't know anything about why prisons have walls or, you know, or why, why people continue to build walls, uh, you know, after millennia. For instance, the great, whether it's the many great walls of China, which I've been to see some of those, or so many, Hadrian's, so many and many and many, right? And it, they are effective, but the, no walls is, is any better than the men who guard it. And then behind that wall and the men who guard it, has to be policy that, that for instance, in in, ha in uh, Dominican Republic, uh, the Dim the uh, Dominicans are are are, are uh, expelling, uh, I believe, uh, up to about one hundred sixty-two thousand in last year, right? Uh, uh, Haitians, right? And so, and uh, so, I mean, once the Haitians realize that you're not going to you're not going to come there, you're not the problem with the Haitians in Dominican Republic is they're forming a lot of gangs. They do a lot of crime. In fact, along whether you're in Colombia or Panama, where I'm at now, uh, you'll you'll hear Kuna Indians and Embra Indians here talk about how much crime the Haitians do just walking through the Darien Gap, and I see it with my eyes because I'm out with them. Uh, you know, there's a lot of there's people from about 140 nations come through, and specifically the Haitians always get named everywhere I go, whether it's in Texas or in Florida where I grew up or in. Dominican Republic or Colombia or Panama, everybody points fingers at the Haitians, right? And so, is that um, a cultural thing? Why, why do you think that is? Well, that's a good question. Many people have molded over the years. I mean, you could go into you know history or something. This is the thing. Uh, I've traveled around the world a lot. I've spent more than half of my life in about ninety kind of, uh, ninety other countries besides the United States. More than half of my life downrange. Most of my adult life. All over Europe and you know uh, Central America here and Middle East and Asia. Asia, been, yeah, mm -hmm. it's been you know been all over Asia, Tibet, you know Nepal, India here, India here, Nepal, just so many places, right? I've seen many many cultures, right? And I was in Ireland last year. Let's use Ireland as an example. Here in the United States, it's very popular to say, "Well, this culture is that way because of racism," right? Well, let's go to Ireland and Ireland. Has been, the Irish have been smashed around a lot. I mean, whether it's through famine or the English or something else, or, you know, the Irish were our original slaves, right? You know, I mean, until yellow fever in particular started wiping them out, and then they started getting black slaves because yellow fever didn't affect the black. 
lacks as much, right? That's yellow fever has really uh, been a dominant feature in the shaping of the United States. By the way, many people don't realize that. Uh, but the, but but, um, but look at the Polish. I lived in Poland for two years. No country suffered more than Poland in World War II, before World War II, and after World War II. They, the Polish have just been smashed around like Rockies, broken ribs all over the place. <laughs> and yet they they still get up and go, well, you know, that was terrible. We must go forward. Right. And, you know, uh, and, and, you know, they the Polish were victims of the communists and the Nazis and the communists. And, you know, that, that's just where, where they live. Right. It's just a it's a strategic piece of landscape. And something will again happen in the future. That's just the way that terraforma goes anyway but the bottom line is is um it's not just that right some cultures are more resilient than others look at chinese chinese regularly get smashed they had a famine in which maybe 50 million died a good book on that's called mouse great famine which i read i've read a lot about bat famine and other famines and i've been i spent quite a bit of time and all over china and i mean the chinese have really been slaughtered and yet, look, they, they can see. A century see, of humiliation. Right? They're like, That's you know, they, Rocky, they just did century, yeah. And, 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 and something else will come in the future, and they will still pull it back together. So, I well, mean, that's because they need, they, they need to import food. They need to import energy. They just, just from, a, geopolit- from yeah. a, a geological standpoint, it's not the best piece of land, right? Yeah. That's a big I, reason. I mean, but the bottom line is what I'm getting to is that there's many cultures that have had a lot of bad things happen. Some are just more resilient, and they bounce back up, and then they'll get smashed back down again, and then they'll bounce back up again. Look at the Irish. I mean, uh, you know, and, and, and right now the Irish are doing a self-inflicted wound. I was just over in Ireland. In fact, I was talking with Mary Lou McDonald, who's the head of Sinn Féin. She's leftist. She's, you know, truly communist, you know. And uh, and I was talking with her about she, – she might end up being the future prime minister of uh, at Ireland. And I was asking Mary Lou McDonald about food security and and, uh, and energy issues. And all she wanted to talk about was equality and all these other Marxist talking points. I mean, she's basically worthless communist, right? I mean, so they're, so they're doing an own wound right now on this sorts of things, right? I mean, right now you're starting, to, you're starting to see the Irish and the migrants fighting in the streets. I mean, it's just – I was just over in Luxembourg last year. Luxembourg now used to be a jewel of Europe. Last time I was in Luxembourg – well, last time I was last year, but – before that, the last time I was in Luxembourg uh, was when I was in the army, right? And it was, it was a jewel of Europe at that time. It's a beautiful place. Everybody, you would want to go there and take your family and the kids could run around at night. It would be no problem. Now, I mean, I saw fights every day and night. Uh, it's a roughly 50% migrants, new migrants. You look on their website, on their own official website, and it said 48.6% or some, some odd. It was 48 some odd percent, right? So, I mean, it's not it's unsafe. Listen, bottom line, some fish just do not mix well in the same aquarium. Now, when I say this, the Marxists out there, the communist brainwashed robots will say, you're a racist, to which I change the channel because I don't have time for children. The bottom line is, I am the xenophobe most of my life. I am the one that's a foreigner. And almost everywhere I go, I'm in Panama now. I'm the foreigner, right? I'm always the, I'm almost always the foreigner in my adult life, whether it's in Europe or Asia or wherever right morocco it doesn't matter so i mean so it's it's obviously not that i have just noticed some fish don't mix well in the same aquarium and the dominicans and the haitians have noticed that too a predatory culture somehow developed in haiti you can blame it on whatever you're going to blame it on 
bottom line is I didn't make the history, but I got to live with it. And I don't have to live with Haitians, right? If you're going to do crime, go back and do it in Haiti. Right now, you got the Canadian Air Force just sent some aircraft that was in the news yesterday and the day before about, you know, air support somehow for the Haitians. I don't know what they're going to do from the air. I mean, it's basically Lord of the Flies in Haiti, right? So I was there with Chuck Holton, a great friend of mine. He's a war correspondent. And we were out there on their little wall. I mean, it's like a, a wall that you would put up against your neighbor, you know, that's, you know, doing like something bad. It's a fence. I mean, it's cinder block on the, you can see Chuck's drone footage. I would have droned it myself too, but I broke my drone last week in Darien Gap. <laughs> but drones, are, Chuck's a much better flyer anyway. And, uh, and he, he droned it in his beautiful footage. Look on my uh, local page or on my Twitter. It's Michael underscore Young on Twitter, right? My last name was Yankee Oscar November, Wyoming. And, and, and you'll see that little wall, but it's got interlocking fire between the, the guard post, which have two soldiers each with M16s, right? Not that they know how to shoot them very well, but, but, they, but the, the wall, such as it is, is backed up by men with rifles, which is backed up by policy, which is expelling the Haitians, which are forming gangs in the Dominican Republic. Naturally, the communists are saying that Dominicans are racist. But if you look, if you've been to Dominican Republic and you'll say like, hmm, okay, so brown people are expelling brown people. Okay, whatever. You know what I'm saying? It's like, whatever. I mean, this is the only thing that dumb people have is to throw the racist card. It's like a hand grenade. Racist. It's, it's it, to know, avoid conversation. Everyone, this, yeah. I mean, by now, everybody's on that side. Like, if you've done anything that disagrees with the narrative, you're, yeah. you're racist. You're, you're on that side. So now everybody's on that side. You know, in trench warfare, there was, a, there was a type of hand grenade developed just for trench warfare, right? It's called a defensive hand grenade. It's a hand grenade, most hand grenades that we have in using the U.S. military, most militaries, you can use them for offensive purposes. In other words, you can pull the pan and throw it over there, and you can throw it far enough to get it away from you that you probably don't get, you know, fragged, right? Especially if you take cover. But a defensive hand grenade is a lot bigger, and it has a bigger burst radius, right? So it's made for you being in a trench and going, and getting all the, you know, clearing off your, you know, the, the outer perimeter of your trench. It's called a defensive hand grenade. You can't throw it enough that you're out of the kill radius, right? And that's what the word racist is. Racist <laughs> is a defensive grenade. And people just pull that defensive grenade and they throw it and they're like, you're a racist. Boom. And they get <laughs> by it. And I'm like, I'm whatever you think I am, but you just got fragged with your own racism claim. You know what I mean? It's just like, they're such a joke anymore. And, I laugh and usually, it. usually it's actually a projection. Usually the person that's calling oh. someone racist happens to be the one, you know, it's usually oh, the opposite. Lord. Oh, right? Lord. oh, Lord. It's wild. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it is 100% that. Yeah. So, so, um, I just want to, so, so you started sounding the alarm bells in January of 2020 of a famine. So, uh, our government, Fauci, all these people, they say the poly crisis, the triangle of death is RSV, COVID, and the flu. Um, but you say it's pandemic, famine, and war. Which one do you think it is? And where are we, where's your, what's your macro view on that compared to how it was? Uh, pandemic, famine, and war always go together. That, you know, I, I, I'm reading a book on, uh, pandemic now, actually. I was, reading it on the airplane this morning, coming back from Dominican Republic to uh, Panama. And it's about the leper colony in, in Molokai in uh, Hawaii, right? It started in 1865. So I've read about 60 books on pandemic. I've read about 40 before this pandemic because I'm a war correspondent. Pandemic, if you're going to take war correspondent work to the PhD level, you got to go broader than kinetics. Kinetics is like junior high school war, you know, war correspondent stuff. 
was like, yeah, get into a bunch of shootouts. I've been in tons of shootouts and all that, and bombings and rockets and all that. That's the kinetic side. The, the, the other parts of this are food security, energy security, uh, uh, famine, of course. These go together, pandemic, famine, war, right? And also hot, human osmotic pressure. Human osmotic pressure is the push and pull of migration and those uh, osmotic factors that create the positive and negative factors, right? And the uh, pressures, right? The highest form of warfare is information warfare, right? That's your PhD level of warfare, right? And so if you don't understand, if you haven't put significant study into the study of, of information war, you're always going to get punked out, basically. I mean, because these information campaigns, and once you start to learn more about how they operate and you spot when they're being used, which is constantly, you become, there's your vaccine. I'll give you one vaccine that everybody should take. Read the book, Rape of the Mind. Rape of the Mind. Rape of the Mind. bring that up. I just got the audio book today because you said that. Good, (laughs) good man. As you read it, we should chat because the more, and I love Rape of the Mind because of all the stacks and stacks of books and I've written three books on information war, actually. But this one is a nice synthesis, and uh, it's concentrated information, right? And it, it really lays out on that. And it's also published in 1954 by a Dutch uh, psychologist, Marilou. And since it's safely out of our generation, right? It's, you know, it's so that, you know, it, that book was published long before most of us were born, right? And uh, mm-hmm. probably before almost anybody watching this was born, most people anyway. And uh, and so it's safely apolitical as far as we are concerned, right? But it, it, and, and once you read Rape of the Mind, uh, for, you know, in fact, one uh, famous Japanese journalist, uh, um, Masako Ganaha, she was just messaging me as we were going on in Switzerland. She's the one that just tracked down uh, Klaus Schwab and it, w- and it went yeah. viral. That was, that was Masako. <laughs> so Masako was reading Rape of the Mind when she returned to Japan from the United States. And she's reading it on the airplane and then she lands in Tokyo and, 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 and she, they, they wanted her to wear this, this thing that showed that, you know, she hadn't been tested for, it was right out of the book. Like, and she, she oh. keeps messaging me. She like, she like, you know, they, 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 they put her in this nice hotel and her instant response is, well, at least it's a nice hotel, which is straight out of rape of the mind. Like, <laughs> well, at least it's a nice prison. At least these handcuffs are not too tight. You know what I mean? Isn't it's that like, amazing, though? It's like all it's been a, done before. It's just oh, like a yeah. it, it you, rhymes almost. Oh, it, 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 what does it say in the Bible? <laughs> Nothing is new under the sun. It's funny. Right. I, was, I was doing an interview a couple of years ago. And I was talking about pandemic famine war. I call it pan war. Pandemic famine war. They just go together. If you get a big famine, if you get a big pandemic, or you get a big war, you always get the other two. There is no exception to that. It's like a triangle, you know, by, it's just, if you get fire, you get smoke, you get heat, right? I mean, this is just like, it's the thing, right? And so when, the more you learn about these things, the more you start to realize pandemic and famine and war, they're really not separate from each other. It's like part of the same thing. And that, so it's funny, I was talking about this on an interview a couple of years ago, and one of my readers, she said, um, you know, you talk about like that, you made it up, and I'm like, like I made it up. And I said, well, I did. And, you know, thinking I'm clever. And she goes, no, it's in the Bible. And I'm like, mm, actually, you're right. So I pro- that's probably where I got it from. And I didn't re- I didn't remember that's where I got it from when I was a child. And, and it was in the back of your head. It, it, it's straight out of the Bible. It's straight out of, you know, the four horsemen, right? And, and the fourth one, of course, is death, right? And so they, they, they just always go together, smoke and fire, 
you know, and what does pandemic do? Pandemic always spreads and it spreads uncontrollably. That's, and that's why it's been, and likewise with famine, famine creates more famine. Famine creates pandemic. These two together create war. Also war creates, it's all about conditions, right? It's all about, it's not about sparks. People that talk about sparks are, are talking Amateurs. about things on an amateur level. Exactly. We got to talk about conditions. It's always about conditions, right? If the conditions are not right for a pandemic or a famine, there won't be a famine. You can have all kinds of bad things happen, but you won't have a famine because the conditions aren't right for it. But once the conditions are right for it, it's very hard to avoid it. Like a forest fire. If, if the Californians don't clean their forest out and, you know, and now you've got a drought that's been going for two or three years or, you know, there's fuel load everywhere. And you got clowns running around, yeah, you know, shooting fireworks. You know, you're well. I mean, the conditions are right, and the spark. There's always sparks. There's always sparks, but it's about conditions. And when the conditions are right, it, it takes off, and now it's out of control, right? And remember that forest fire was it created creates hot human osmotic pressure. People, animals, people, everybody runs from it. And uh, you know, and you know, and, and anyways, it's it's quite interesting how these things have not changed over the years. People notice them long enough ago to put them in the Bible, you know what I mean? So, and then, and I, I just read book after book after book. It's interesting, this book I'm reading on the leper colony now that was formed in 1865 in Molokai and Hawaii, it sounds like it was like it all happened yesterday. Yeah. For instance, they've got, they're actually tracking people down in the jungle, dragging them out of the villages and caves because people have accused them of having leper, leprosy. And so they, so they, they get some, the book talks about this. Somehow they get on the list, and now they're the system. It's the it's not the people. It's the it's the system that the people created, and now you follow the system. Your name's on the list. Well, how did my name get on the list? I don't know, but your name's on the list. You're coming with us. You end up in Molokai, right? And then finally, after you're in Molokai for a while, you might get examined and go, well, "He doesn't have leprosy. We might have leprosy now because you put him in Molokai with the right. lepers." You know what I mean? It's like it's like so it's like I mean it's like. So, like, Molokai in 1865 was like the original, you know, FEMA camps. Not the original. These things have happened before that. I mean, it's just Way it's the same story over and over and over. It's interesting, too, on Molokai, uh, when you've got these lepers out in Mo and people that are accused of leprosy out of Molokai, and suddenly they start stealing each other's food. So now they have a food shortage, right? And it creates human osmotic pressure. People are trying to get out. And it's just the same story over and over. You know, uh, and then basically the sheriff and the bounty hunters coming after the people that are accused of having leprosy. And, uh, you know, they have shootouts and stabbings and machete fights and all kinds of sorts, you know, because they're not going to go to the quote unquote, what we would call now a FEMA camp. But it was Molokai, right? And, and it wasn't just Molokai. There's been, there was leper uh, colonies uh, all over the world, right? It, it's quite interesting. If you got, if your name got on that list, I mean, the best thing you can do is, unless you want to go live in that camp, which is in a really difficult place to get out of in Hawaii, because it was Molokai, the, the place where they built the leper colony, was very difficult to escape. If, you, if you've been to Hawaii, you look at these mountains, they're quite impressive. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, it, 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 it can be very difficult and deadly to get out of these things. It's almost and, like uh, COVID camps, like they did in Australia and China, and they're, you know, they're yeah, building everywhere. Same you thing. Know? Same story um, over and over and over. So food supply. Well, before we get into that, what happened in 1905 that changed food supply forever and was able, and was able to feed everybody? You talk a lot about the Haberbosch process and why it's so important. Mm. 
And how does that relate to what you see right now is in, in terms of food security? Right. Fritz Haber was a German chemist. You know, actually, if you rewind the tapes even more, uh, you know, uh, people started using bird guano and bat guano for fertilizer, which was very effective, actually. That's why the U.S. Uh, government actually had a, had a guano policy. Like if, as an American, if you found an island somewhere that was, you know, had a significant amount of bird guano on it, U.S. Navy and Army would come and guard that so it could be exploited. So that we would, so fertilizer, you know, it's a national asset because, you know, stronger people, more food, you're more fit. You can go to war. You can defend against war, right? I mean, it's, it's dukes up. Food is and, and food security and that sort of thing is, is, is a, you know, it, it is one of the soft weapons of war, you might say, right? And so I mean, without food that people overthrow their governments, I mean, it's overthrown powers before in, in the past. Oh, yeah. Like, I mean, countless, uh, about 50 yeah. revolutions just in the 1840s yeah. because of the, they called them the hungry 40s, right? And, uh, and so, uh, and uh, in 1840s, right? And, uh, but this has happened so many times. It's just like long as you can never remember it all. You know, it's, it, you, I mean, it's like, it'd be like memorizing all the words in the Oxford Dictionary. Right? <laughs> it's like, I mean, it's like, uh, you it's can too do common. It. Rain Man can do it. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> but, you know, it's like, uh, but, um, uh, likewise with wars, there's all these little micro wars all over the place constantly. Anyway, but so Germany was beginning to be excluded from getting these um, these nitrogenous fertilizers from the from the guano and that sort of thing. And another thing that you can do with that is make explosives, right? So it's not, and we talk about it as if it's just you know for fertilizer, but it's also for you know like ammonium nitrate, right? So you know urea and that sort of thing. And so um, so it's got a dual purpose. So in 1905, a German chemist named Fritz Haber wrote a book on thermodynamics in which he described the process that you can strip the hydrogen off of the natural gas and combine it with the nitrogen that we're breathing and make ammonia, right? And then in 1908, he actually got a little bit to come out, and it was difficult, though, but he got he, he made some ammonia, actually. So he proof of concept. And then in 1913, uh, Bosch, Karl Bosch, also a German chemist, he was able to take it more to the industrial scale. Like, we know we can make the ammonia, but, you know, we got to get more than a drop or two to make any difference in the world. So in 1913, they started working on to do this on an industrial scale at Ludwigshafen, Germany, at a place called BASF, right, and which I was at twice last year, actually. And BASF, they, they really started mass production or industrial scale production in 1915, right? So, you know, World War I, lots more explosives and that sort of thing. And, 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 uh, and, but also fertilizer. So now we've got the world population, not just due to fertilizers, but in part due to, in a large part due to fertilizers, but also increased uh, availability of fast transportation, bigger ships, better, you know, railways and, and this better roads and better uh, processes for doing uh, large scale uh, agriculture, whether it's chemical like fungicides, pesticides, herbicides, all these sorts of things uh, are made by these same chemical companies, right? So many, many reasons why the population began to explode. But part of this was just, if you want more ducks, you have more duck feed. And if you want to have more duck feed, you need more fertilizer, right? So, so you know, and, and if, you know, and the next thing you know, you've got billions and billions more, right? And so um, now you can clearly see that our nitrogenous fertilizer supplies are being dramatically reduced. You see, for instance, Nord Stream 1 and Nord Stream 2 have been blown up. Nord Stream 2 was pressurized, but it was never actually flowing. Uh, but Nord Stream 1 was flowing, and that's what fed BASF. That's why I've been saying all last year, 
Nord Stream 1, and Nord Stream 2. You cut those things, that's it. Game over. And we blew them up. It was clearly the United States. A and, great article um, came out today exposing how it was us and the details of it. Uh, Someone substack. I'll link it below. But it's amazing. Yeah, and the fun fact about Basif Hirsch, yeah. is that, yeah, and then with Basif, they haven't missed – they haven't turned off any of those machines or the process for a day since World War II. And now they're, like, moving parts of it to China. Like, it's crazy. Yeah, since the early 50s. Yeah. And, and the yeah. thing is, you can't just shut it down. It's like there's some plant – it's not like I can just turn off this light switch and the lights are out. It's like, hold on. I'll be right back and turn the light back on. That's not how this works. It's like shutting down a living thing, and you, right. you, you can't just restart it. It takes a, it can be you know can start blowing up and bursting things, and you know it's a very dynamic. And, and in fact, the BASF, uh, I speak German, and I was there with somebody you know getting a tour, and he called it a Verbund. And I, you know, I said Verbund. I've never heard that word before. What is it? And he goes, actually, we we developed this word at BASF naturally because BASF make stuff, including words. And the fair boon <laughs> is basically this very intricate, because I said I like that word because the way he was using it, he was speaking only in German. I said, that's a really nice word. And I, I, I should have known that word, but I've never heard of it. And he goes, that's you know, it's because we made it here, like all these chemicals. And, and uh, he's a German guy. <laughs> you know? And, uh, and he, he said, yeah, because that is how intricate our processes are. And, you know, and, 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 and it's taken a long time to build these things around it and how they're, some of the, you know, inputs from this come from that. And then it's like a circulatory system, you know. And so, and he said, if we have to shut down this plant because Nord Stream 1, it's it. I mean, you know, um, it's not like it can't be restarted, but it will be a tremendous process and there'll be a huge interruption now, there's many other nitrogenous fertilizer plants in Europe, about 29 significant ones, many of which are now closed or mostly closed. And so the, the nitrogenous fertilizers are greatly reduced in, in the production rates. I was having dinner last year with, um, uh, with Jordan Peterson in Netherlands and a scientist who is or not you know, a scientist one night. And then the next night with uh, a retired CEO of a big chemical plant. And, uh, and he talked about this. He talked about how, for instance, Brazil will not be getting the nitrogenous fertilizers they need, or India, and many other countries, right? This is significant, because it's not like you can just then go get it from somebody else, because there's just not going to be enough, period, right? So the question is, we don't know, now we're talking about conditions again. We're not going to have enough fertilizer, but we don't know how much. For instance, I'm in, I'm in, uh, in a valley now in Panama, and Chuck Holton, my friend that I mentioned several times in this interview already, he has a 73-year-old friend here uh, named Sebastian who's been farming all of his life, as was his family before. And this year, he, for the first time in his life, he cannot afford the fertilizer. So he's not going – first time Whoa. in his whole life, he can't afford the nitrogenous fertilizer, right? And so and, – and I talked with a Chinese man who owns a Chinese store that sells fertilizer here. He said, oh, yeah, our prices have gone through the roof, you know, so it's reducing sales. And blah, blah, blah. So what does that mean? It means a reduction in food pro uh, production. And these small-scale farmers produce about 40% of the food throughout the world, right? So this is a big deal. This is not And like weather conditions with, with what – like there's some weird stuff. We might be in like a grand solar minimum a cycle. Like David Dubine covers it really well. But yeah. that there's yeah. like droughts and stuff as well. There's, there's the, it's energy. It's that fertilizer. And there's also like droughts and stuff going on, right? Yeah. It's, it's a complex system. Right? Yeah. There's, more, there's the, the, the volcano at Tonga. I don't know. If yeah. That, I don't know if that volcano is actually going to have significant 
impact? I don't know. I do know that volcanoes uh, can be one of the worst factors in famines. I mean, like, for instance, the 1815 volcanic eruption uh, at, at, at uh, Tonga. Uh, that yep. was that was uh, s- significant. I mean, that was. I think I it's mean, not Tonga. Hurt. That that wasn't Tonga. That was. But but the eighteen fifteen that caused a year without a summer in eighteen sixteen, and then in eighteen seventeen, Switzerland had the worst famine in all of Europe due to that volcanic eruption. So I mean, the, the, there was famines all over, all over, including in the United States in eighteen sixteen, right? From a volcanic eruption on the other side of the world, right? And some of the worst famines in Japan have been caused by volcanic eruptions. Due to the ash, due to water vapor, oh, due yeah. to all kinds of things that go along with these sorts. Uh, so we, we've got Mother Nature is always doing what Mother Nature does, which is whatever Mother Nature wants to do. And then we've got mankind either, particularly with the World Economic Forum, which, by the way, is co-sanguinated with, with uh, CCP, Chinese Communist Party. These are not separate. They have been – they are Siamese twins. They share That's my biggest. That's my biggest question. Are those the same team or are they di- – it sounds like they, they would differ in how they would do things. Like they, are, they're, they're, they might have the so, same goal to a certain extent and then one wants to go a little bit this way and a little bit that way. Or is it the same group? I think they've is joined – behind that? that well, clearly. I mean some of them – you know, annually they have meetings in Davos, right? But they also have yeah. meetings in China, which almost nobody knows about. But it's not secret. They're not secret at all. It's on their website, right? So you can go to the meetings in China just like you go to Davos, right? It's not secret. It's just that nobody ever talks about it. We always talk about Davos. But they have those in China too. And China has been part of World Economic Forum by a different name since 1970s, right? They are completely conjoined, right? Then now, will they ultimately fight each other if they, you know, get what they want by reducing the world population by... 15 out of 16 people dead. They want to get the population down to 500 million, right? Not useless leaders. Yeah, that's what Yuval says, right? And, um, I mean, this is like psychopaths are us. It's like one of the things I've noticed about World Economic Forum members is arrogance, extreme arrogance. It's almost like an indicator. It actually is an indicator for me. If I find somebody who's extremely arrogant and it's in certain contexts, it has to be and also has context is vital but it makes me start to suspect that they're they might be within what you know because every cult has its own uh you know characteristics and uh you know uh like some cults like drink out of skulls you know <laughs> some cults uh do this some cults do that and one one of the characteristics one of the characteristics of the world economic forum is just extreme areas look at that with Klaus Schwab Look at that with Evolve. Look at that with Gates. Look at that with just so many, just absolute. Just psychopathic and, and probably also pedophiles, but who knows? I mean, well, I mean, I don't I know why stuff. Bill Gates got his wife divorced him. I mean, it's a mysterious question. I don't know. So he's actually a good sign I, to, to understand where the macro economy like is going and what's going Like I always watch it, what he's doing. So when he's investing in factory made food and artificial beef, and then I see the Netherlands, all the farmers are being kind of like kicked out of their land. They're trying to, you know, they're, they're creating, what's it? The, I did a podcast on this a few times ago, the tri-state city they're trying to do. Yeah. And they, they came out with the report that ironically, they're like, we want to get rid of 13,000 farms. And, and they literally have 13,000 like total farms in like all of the Netherlands. Like, it was like a perfect number. Um, you were in the Netherlands as far as like the, the food supply, like conditions now with the fertilizer, all that, do you, is famine still, is it, is it a hundred percent? Like, like, do you think it's like very, very likely to happen? And I, I guess what can we do at this point to make it the least 
disrupted situation or least bad situation we could. Uh, it's baked in the cake. We're clearly yeah. going into famines. The question is, how big will they be? Who will be affected? What will the ultimate effects be, right? Uh, but we're clearly, it's, a, it's about conditions. Again, exactly where are they going to start at? They've already started. I mean, but how, see- isn't this going to be really weird, though? This is like the first time in history where there's going to have this happen, but there's going to be an information aspect where people can communicate across the world. Like, yeah. like if there's a famine going on, people can kind of communicate that, but there's censorship. Like, how is that going to go on? It's going to be bizarre. Yeah. Uh, it's, you know what's interesting about famines, for instance, in the Holodomor in 1932, 33 in Ukraine, many people in other parts of Ukraine didn't actually believe there was a famine in Ukraine. It's yeah, very strange. And likewise, likewise in China and in uh, Mao's famines, right? There were people in other parts of China that didn't believe that there was a famine going on. Because it wasn't, it wasn't all of China was in a famine. It wasn't all of Ukraine was in a famine. Because there were targeted areas. And another thing I've noticed with people that, you know, some of my friends, and I'm sure yours, will say, well, I'm in, you know, let's say Ohio. I'm surrounded by farmland. Everything's going to be good to go here. They haven't studied famine. Often the worst famines are in the places that produce the most food. This is very interesting, you know, dining like Henan province in China, not Hunan, but Henan province was the worst famine area of the, the Mao's great famine, right? Was Henan province. And that's well, one of the most, of China. What, one of the most interesting things that you mentioned in Ireland, when there was a, fam- was it 1848, they're surrounded by fish and yet they had yeah. a ton of famine. Yeah. 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 1848 to 50 or 1845 to, uh, 50 or 52, you can start an argument with that, but let's say 52. Okay. Now people will argue. No, it's and then 1850 you- or But yeah, they're surrounded by fish, right? Now, the English were stopping the fishing, and, and anyway, there's, there's reasons for that, but it's not like there wasn't food. There's always enough food. It's just you're over there and the food's over here, right? And, you know, it's not like you have an infinite amount of time to reconcile this, you know, this, uh, this equation that doesn't. You know, this doesn't equal this at this point, you know, and uh, you got to balance this equation and you've got a time limit. Right. And so uh, if you don't, people die, period. Or you either have to die or you have to move. Right. And there's where this human osmotic pressure comes in. People jump on ships and they start walking. You know, of course, when they then you start with the pandemics, like there's always famine fevers, which one of them is typhus, which always occurs in famines spread by epidemic typhus, spread by lice. Which is another form of typhus called marine typhus, fleas, and anyway. But the bottom line is, you'll have these famine fevers, you'll have cholera breakout, waterborne, you know, uh, uh, illness, and uh, kills huge amounts of people. Uh, and uh, there's a good book on uh, cholera, by the way, called Ghost Map. Very interesting book. Uh, it, you know, the, the you know, you might look at some of these, uh, ep, you know, pandemic books and and famine books as kind of dark, but the more you read them, they're actually extremely interesting. And you'll see how history is shaped so much by things like yellow fever, right? Again, yellow fever, weirdly, today I discovered there's a book on yellow fever, how it shaped U.S. history, because I've been saying that for years now, that yellow fever shaped U.S. history more than the Civil War. I mean, that's what it appears to be to me. And now I actually saw a book uh, today when I was looking about, I was looking for some more books online on, on pandemic. And I saw one that's literally about that subject, how yellow fever shaped the history of the United States. There, there was one pandemic. I don't know if it was yellow fever. Robert Kennedy Jr. was talking about this, how literally because it impacted the troops in a war, we would have captured like on like Canada or something it would have been part of the United States for like, I don't know if, if there was no pandemic of some sort, I don't know, but mo- maybe, Hey, listen, maybe the NIH and all of them will create a vaccine for against starvation. What do you think? <laughs> 
Yeah, they can create a vaccine against starvation. They can just keep giving the ones they have now. Because, you know, if you have fewer people, it's easier to balance the equation, right? Oh, God. Because basically, this is at, at some point, it's mathematics, right? I mean, it's musical chairs. If there's not enough food and it's time to eat, you know, somebody's not going to get enough food. And it's interesting how famine creates famine. When, when you have, for instance, let's say Haiti or any place, United States, it doesn't matter. When people don't have enough food, they start robbing the trains. They start robbing the boats. They start robbing the trucks. People get Reginald Denny. They start, you know, uh, stealing from the warehouse. And then the food stops flowing. So you might have plenty of food, but it's just not flowing because people are stealing it. So in other words, if, if everybody were like Japanese and could behave, you could feed a lot more people with less food because people behave. Like everybody could get out the door in the fire, but everybody just slowed down a little bit. Slow is smooth, smooth is fast, right? And, you know, that's a military saying, slow is smooth, slow down, and you'll be a much faster, right? Go as fast as you can, but no faster than until, you, until things get jerky. When things get jerky, it slows down. When people start robbing the trucks and the trains, the food stops flowing. You'll get the food deserts, right? And so even though there might be plenty of food, you're not going to get it because it gets robbed on the highway, so the trucks just stop flowing. You know, nobody wants to get Reginald Denny. And so these sorts of cultures in the United States that have the flat screen riots and whatnot, you know, they have a riot and everybody goes steals their flat screen TV, you know, to, 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 uh, to protest racism. i got to get a flat screen TV, right? So when that sort of stuff happens, you're setting yourself up for sincere problems if we have an actual profound food, uh, food shortage to begin with. Because it's going to stop flowing for you. And then you're going to have to flow out to get it. And then we're going to get into actual civil war. We're going to get into actual armed uh, combat. I mean, and that's what happens. This is not just in the United States or talking about it now. This is historical. It just happens. This is how the fire burns, right? And it's so in sync globally. It's so wild. So wait, when, I kind of want to go back in time a little bit. When did you, because you learned way before I did, that we were, that about the information war, when did you realize like everything you're being siphoned through like mainstream is a lie? Like, how'd you, how'd you realize that? Uh, decades ago. I mean, I've written three books on information work. They're all in Japanese. And, um, and that's to, I didn't, I wrote them in English, but the Japanese publisher asked me to write them because I kept pointing out some information war things that were going on between CCP was running an information operation, uh, to try to split Korea, United States and Japan, which has now succeeded between uh, Japan and Korea actually. And I started publishing about this in 2014. And warning about it, and then finally actually happened in 2019 and 20. It's a long story, but but you know, it, it, information war is is the PhD level of warfare. You know, and it's not kinetics and running around. And, it, it's and fifth generation it's, warfare, right? That's the high. It, it's, and there's nothing new about. It. We use that term. Fifth, I've got Michael Flynn's book uh, here, by the way, on fifth generation oh. warfare. But it's not. It's not. It's not. It's got new terminology, but the idea is actually quite old. It's just amazing to me that it can function so well in an era where we have all of these different ways to communicate directly to other humans, other places in the world. Yet, I, the, the, just from 2019, how successful they've been has just blown my mind. Yeah. It's been stunning. Uh, the information war uh, has always been sophisticated since you know centuries, many centuries. Uh, and but now they're able to take it to a higher level because we're able to you know communicate more. Able, they're able to do more targeting. They're able to collect more data on individuals and, and groups and, you know, who are the influencers and, you know, even quiet influencers that people don't actually realize they can now sort out with the AI and that sort of thing. 
And so it, it's quite interesting. It's been brought to We see that the, these quote unquote migrants that are coming across the U.S. border are mostly military age males. I'm out there with them all the time. You know, some of my friends in the intelligence community, community uh, uh, some of them have decidedly gone left. And they'll argue like, that's not what's happening. I'm like, well, go, go to the border. I mean, you're just reading your idiotic reports. I'm, I mean, you've I'm, seen it. I, I, I'm, I'm down here in the Darien Gap. And so is Chuck Holton. And I just took Ben Berkwam. We, we took Chuck and Ben. And I took uh, Ben Berkwam, you know, Ben and Oscar Blue. They just did a trek through the Darien Gap. Chuck and I were just in Dominican Republic this morning at the Haitian border wall yesterday. I mean, we, we see these things all over. We've been to Morocco together looking at the, the hop over there, the human economic pressure. We've been to Greece and watching it there and Lithuania and so many places. I mean, it's just, it's the same story everywhere. It's like a mammal. They're all different, but they're all the same. What's the difference between a mouse and an elephant, really? We could sit here all day long for a month and talk about how a mouse and an elephant are very, very similar, right? That could, because they are, right? Or you can talk about how different they are. Wars and conflicts are the same way. They're all very similar. And once you've studied enough and spent enough years in wars and conflicts, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's like being an oncologist at some point who can just walk into a room and say, yeah, he's got cancer. I don't need the test. You know what I mean? Or he doesn't have cancer. He doesn't have to smell. He doesn't have to look. It's just, you know, I, I just been doing this or a cop walks up and goes, hey, that guy's probably dangerous because, you know, he's been doing it for 20 years. He can probably sort it out. You know, he's been in enough fights. He's like, hey, watch this guy. You know what I mean? And it's the same when you've done enough war, which Chuck and I both have done separately from each other. And then we team up and we can go to these places sometimes together and we can see, you know, what's happening. Clearly, these migrants, quote unquote migrants, are being weaponized. I mean, they're issuing, giving phones out when they cross into the United States. This is a command and control unit, right? So what is what is the goal of what's going like, what is who's behind what's going on at the border? Like, what is like, I know, like, I think Laura Logan, hopefully we'll have her on in a couple of weeks and she has some ideas of, of what's going on to make it more of a regional government type deal. And, you know, to get all the migrants up and kind of dissolve the United States is that like who's behind it and what is the goal? Well, first of all, this destruction of the United States, once you once you destroy the United States, everybody else is like picking off pawns on the border. Right. I've learned that's definitely true. Yeah, I mean, you know, so, uh, and that's why I wrote these books about uh, information war just for the Japanese market, because taking out Japan is crucial for knocking out our flank in Asia, right? And so, and so splitting Korea and Japan is essential for taking out Japan, right? So, if, you know, if you're fighting, you want to keep kick, kicking somebody in the leg until their leg right? it falls and collapses, right? It's the same with this right here, right? I mean, splitting Korea and Japan is keep hitting, hitting, hitting. Hitting and hitting, and finally they have split, and they've split based on you know uh, narratives, historical narratives about comfort women and all these sorts of things. And everybody who thinks they know about comfort women because they read Iris Chang's book *Rape of Manjing*, which is utter bullshit. Now, when I say that, people are like, "Whoa, no, Iris Chang, she's like the master of the universe." No, she was recruited by a CCP operative who lives in Cupertino, California, named Ignatius Thing. And anybody who didn't know that is not even in the room on the conversation. Right? In fact, the person in charge of information oper- uh, comfort women information operations now in the United States, his name is Russell Lowe. Russell Lowe was the spy on Senator Feinstein, Diane Feinstein's driver, right? Russell Lowe is good friends with Ignatius Ding. Russell Lowe now runs comfort women operations in the United States. 
He was the spy on Senator Feinstein's dad. How was he discovered? He was discovered by somebody I worked with seven days a week and half for years. I call him JBS, Jew behind the scenes, because he's Ashkenazi Jew. He's got a brain this big. So we're, we're, in, we're in Tokyo one time. And we're in a bar. I don't drink, but he's drinking a whiskey and smoking a big cigar. And I'm like, it's a dark room, and he's got the smokes going up. I'm like, you know, you're like out of a movie. You're the Jew behind the scenes. He's like, from now on, I'm Ashkenazi Jew too. I see you guys got this big brain. And he's just like, well, for now on, just call me JBS. And I'm like, okay, JBS it is. So if you see on my Twitter, when things go up that are Twitter, my readers all know. So when you see JBS on my Twitter, all my readers know it's two behind the scenes. That's Al putting it. So, but Al's the one that discovered Russell Lowe. He put that Ashkenazi brain on it and he figured it out, right? And uh, anyway, so. And now, and now Russell Lowe is in charge of comfort women operations in the United States. And you just can't make up the stuff. It's right in front of it's everybody's biz- face. It's not hidden. It's not, you know, now if you say that, people are going to be like, no, no, that's impossible. You're, you're just a Japanese uh, uh, something. I mean, how Japanese do I look? My eyes don't go down. They don't go middle. They don't go up. I'm a round eye, right? You know, I grew up in Florida catching alligators, right? So I'm, I'm but I wa- I'm a workhorse client and I watch information work. And that information war is crucial for the security of the United States, right? And so, uh, you know, it's very interesting how the, the comfort women issue has been used to split our incredibly important partners in Japan from our incredibly important partners in Korea. So now we got Korea and Japan fighting each other, right? Divide and conquer, right? So it's, and it's along these, it's along, now if I say the comfort women thing is bullshit, people will go, whoa, now you're going to say the, now you're going to say the rape of Nan King is false. Now, I already know what you're going to say. I'll write it down. And I, sometimes I do this. I write it down and put it in my pocket. And I pull it out later. I say, you're going to say that the, the, the Baton Death March is not, is, wasn't real. And I pull it out. And I'm like, how would you know that? Because I'm, an information, <laughs> I'm a student of information work. You've been supplied those answers. The Baton Death March was very real, right? That's separate. The fact is I'm talking about information work. I'm not talking about the historical accuracy of whether or not it's accurate. I'm talking about whether or not it's being weaponized for some other reason, right? And so in, in, in that, that comfort women issue has split Japan and Korea. That is vital. Almost no Americans know that. Many Japanese don't. Japanese believe the comfort women issue. By the way. They're like, yeah, we did it. No, actually, you didn't. But, I mean, the Eon Fu or the Eon Joe, anyway, I could go into that in, in, in great detail. But, but it, it, it's, it's a fascinating topic. And, um, but, but it's fascinating insofar as information works. But again, that's the PhD level of warfare. You know, actually, a lot of military professionals uh, or business people, engineers, those sorts of things, when I bring this up to them, they often see it instantly. They will have believed that the Japanese kidnapped 200,000 women during time of war and made sex slaves out of them. But then when I lay it out to an American like infantry commander, like a colonel or a general or, or even a captain that's in the infantry, I say, let's think about this. You've been to several years of war. What's the hardest thing you do in war? Move stuff, right? Move stuff. You got to move that stuff to that place. And there's people trying to blow you up. And there's a river. Oh, there was a flood, oh, earthquake, storm came, mudslide. They need the stuff. And we, you know, so Japan did not have enough fuel. They didn't have enough ammo. They didn't have enough rifles. And so this allegation is that they kidnapped 200,000 women during time of war. Now, when you're talking with people that have actually been in war or actually build stuff, they're actually big business people. They just started to go, wait a minute, you're right. They didn't 
you're, you're saying they stopped to kidnap 200,000 people and spread them all over Asia as sex slaves when they didn't even have enough food. Maybe there is something wrong with this. Yeah, there is something wrong with it because it's nonsense. But that's not what the po- that's not the point. It's not the point where they did have Eon food. They're called Eon food. The, the Japanese prostitution was legal in Japan. It was like working at McDonald's. It didn't have any valence to it. It had no political or social charge to it, right? And, and, and Eon Joe are their brothels, right? But, they, but interestingly, and also 1905, when, you know, when Fritz Haber was doing that in Germany, Japan was annexing uh, Korea. And in 1910, they fully annexed Korea. And, 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 Japan, and Korea was part of Japan. It was as part of Japan as Texas is of the United States. Now, whenever I've said that, and I've said it in public many times, people go, whoa, you don't know anything about Texas or Korea. <laughs> I think, actually, it's you that don't, because that is exactly what happened. And, and Korea, the, the Korean, Koreans were military officers in the Imperial Japanese Army, up to it, including the rank of general. In fact, the person who was running POW operations in Philippines and torturing Americans was a Korean general, right? Now, who knows that? Practically nobody. It's the truth. It's laying on the surface. It's not hidden. It's not secret. But the point is, is there were hundreds of thousands of Koreans in the Japanese army, right? As officers, as soldiers, as... And so when they make this allegation that the Japanese army, which was, remember, Koreans were like, they were full Japanese citizens. They were elected officials. They were armed police. They were generals in the Japanese army, right? They were captains. They were everything, right? So you're saying, I say this to Koreans, you're saying, wait a minute. Hey, how many of your fathers and grandfathers were actually killed defending your women? I mean, there must be some mass graves for all the men who got killed defending your women. Because if you come to take our women, we're going to kill some of you. You might kill us, but we're going to harvest some of you, right? There's going to be a knockdown dragon if you come for our women. We're going to kill some of you, right? And, you're gonna, and it's going to be on, you know, dukes up. And, and, uh, and, uh, and, and you're like, mm, that didn't happen. You know, it didn't happen because hundreds of thousands of Koreans were in the Japanese army because they were Japanese citizens. So basically you're saying Koreans kidnapped Koreans, right? And, and that your men did not even resist despite that they had weapons because they were in the army, right? It's just nonsense. I mean, but that's not the point. That's not the point whether it's true or not. Because in information war, it doesn't matter if it's true. It's better if it's true. It's better if it's partly true. And it's, it it doesn't partly, matter. It is partly true because there were Ianfu and Ianju, which is comfort women. And, and which Japan has always had. And, and most of the Ianfu were actually, were actually Japanese. They were Japanese Japanese, right? Because the Japanese soldiers preferred Japanese Japanese. And after that, they preferred Korean Japanese. And after that, they preferred, you know, whatever else they found out. And there was five main reasons why they had Ianfu. One was espionage. One was because, you know, we always use prostitutes to for spies. Everybody does, right? Uh, uh, another is uh, STDs, because you can get your army wiped out very quickly from oh. STDs, right? Uh, another is um, uh, morale, both of the local population and your young army, right? Because most armies are quite young, right? And, uh, and so they're basically testosterone missiles, right? And so if your testosterone missiles during time of war start picking up the local women, you're going to get some resistance. This is often a problem, right, in war, right? So you'll get resistance that didn't exist because soldiers went out and, and either committed rapes or, or they're out with some Muslim women in Indonesia or something, and so you get these conflicts going on. So they actually did have the Ianfu, and some of them did, uh, and I've, 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 uh, I gave a speech on this in Tokyo years ago, actually. We found some old records from 1944 from the 
IOW, the, the Office of Information. Anyway, it doesn't matter. But the bottom line is, is they did exist, and I could deep dive on this. We could talk about it. For, I could teach a university course. I've written three books on it. So, I mean, but the point is, is information work. That higher level of warfare is always information work, and that's where conditions were set to walk people into getting the jab. Read Rape of the Mind. Once you read Rape of the Mind, it's like learning how to count, learning how to do some basic mathematics, and now we're going to go into algebra. Right? But so reading Rape of the Mind is like we're going to we're going to learn you know what odd and even numbers are. We're going to you know we're going to learn base ten stuff, and later we're going to start some basic algebra. We'll do the same thing when it comes to information work. Now everybody already has a huge amount of information work in their head because we live in that environment and we have to do it ourselves. Like I've got a, a nice poodle sitting at my feet here, muppers. And, and muppers understand some of my psychology, and I understand some of muppers' psychology. And like muppers, <laughs> when muppers wants to, me to throw the tennis ball, comes up and hits me with her feet and puts the ball at my feet. She's like, okay, I'm cute, throw the ball, right? So, you know what I mean? So it's our interaction. We all understand how these things work, right? Everybody alive is a psychologist. Some people just have PhDs in it. And, 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 and so when it comes to information work, everybody already has a pretty deep understanding. It just needs a... It needs to be structured so that you see how people are using it against you. Like in martial arts, knowing how a chokehold works is very nice to know. You know what I mean? To know how to get out of it, to know how to, you know what I mean? To know how to avoid getting into these situations if possible. And, but once you see the information more that's being used against you to take these death jabs, because that's what they are, they're clearly weapons. Uh, they're, they're, this is, you know, uh, I messaged to, to Brett Weinstein yesterday about this and others. It's like, listen, People are not calling these things what they are. And then when it comes to information warfare, the first thing you need to do is call things what they are. Like the, the migration is clearly an invasion. Call it what it is. It, this is an invasion. It's mostly military-age males. The Dominican Republic is doing something about it. They're sending the Haitians back in mass, right? So, I mean, we have to call things what they are, right? Now, you're not – the first battlefield on all this stuff is words. It's a battle of words, right? Like, hey, I don't want to call it an invasion because you know, that's politically loaded. Yeah, it is. And not calling it an invasion means it's still politically loaded and you're a chump and you just lost a key battle. You just gave away hilltop number 500. You just gave it away, right? And now they're on that hilltop. Now they're calling it what they want. They're calling it migration due to, oh, you know, back in their country, this, that, or the other is going on. You know, most of the migrants who are coming through and some are migrants. Some are actually migrants. But most of the people coming through have been in places like Chile, like the Haitians, for years. Or they've been in Brazil, right? They've been there for years with jobs. They're not running from fire. They're not running from, from, from pandemic. They're running. They've been welcomed in by the United States or Europe. Throw, if you want more ducks, what do you do? You throw corn down. Throw corn, the ducks come. And the more corn you throw, the more ducks you get. Before you know it, you're not your own country anymore. You're duck land. You know what I mean? And and it's the same with uh, with uh, with uh, with the uh, Dominican Republic. If you just don't have a border, you will become Haiti again because it was run by Haiti at some point in the past, right? And so, I mean, because demographics is your future, right? I mean, this is this is a huge deal. 
uh, it changes anyway. a nation forever. But let's talk about demographics. Is that yeah. is that a is that a big reason why? So like, I mean, there's a lot of things with cycles, and we know now you have Bretton Woods, like 1945, which was the last world order. We know that this mm-hmm. one we're in the midst of it. So I think that it kind of feels like that information war has been kind of notched up more than it ever has been in my life. Maybe I've just been unaware, but it seems like it's at a crazy level. And then you got everything with the invasion and what we do on what I try and do on this podcast is I call it as it is it's uncomfortable like what you were saying you got to say it's an invasion you got to say it's that yet like you just have to say it it sounds it sounds wild and sometimes i feel like i'm living in a fake world but it's it's real and you got to call it what it is like that's point blank the only cult um, you'll never see is the cult you're in you know everybody else's cult huh. is really obvious you're like hey that guy's in a cult poor guy you know it's right like, yeah you, you, you can clearly see his cult you know but your, your own cognitive distance you can't find the zipper on your imax bubble you know what i mean it's like because everything like if I, the comfort women thing, if, if people are there, web search, if you're Googling it right now, you've already lost. Yeah. If you're looking on Wikipedia, you're lost. It looks like, which is why it, uh, which I is why it's hard to like. Me, I tell people, don't send me Wikipedia links. If, if you do, if I had a cruise missile, I would launch it back. You know, it's like, <laughs> yeah. it's like Wikipedia is information that is the ground beast. zero for that. That's the, yeah. now if you're looking up how to grow roses or something, it's probably great. But if you're looking up anything political, uh, or historical that's of any significance, and you don't often know what those things are that's significant to somebody else, right? And you want to talk about, you know, the Armenians and the Turks, you know, and genocide, yep. uh, or Jews in Lithuania or whatever. Everybody's got their side of the story. And in and, 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 and the information high ground these days, a lot of it is, is in, a nexus is Wikipedia, right? But people, so- don't, but people who don't know that really don't, it's hard to convince, it's hard to help them understand that it's information. They just won't, I don't know if it's an emotional tie, kind of dis- it's very bizarre, but you can't educate them. They're unwilling to understand that. I it's know, because they're, they're snorting Wikipedia, like Hunter Biden snorts whatever he snorts, right? <laughs> it's like, give me some Wikipedia. <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> what do you mean Wikipedia is bad for me? I don't know. Right. You just keep sending me Wikipedia links, you know? It's messed with your brain. You know what I mean? <laughs> or like fact checkers, you know, funded by Bill Gates and all that, like Snopes or something. It's the same yeah. thing. Yeah. But do you think, uh, well, actually, before I, well, we we're talking about the demographics. Do you think a lot of what's happening now is because we have an aging population? I mean, the, there's one thing Zion does get right and brought to the, the fore table or to the forefront, which was the demographic issue. He's wrong a lot, a lot of other things. Uh, you know, he's taking like nine jabs, by the way, but whatever. Um, but he's good with the How demography. Many jabs does he say he's had? He's a clown. He, he did. He's he a, said in one video, he's like, he, he was saying in the video, he was sitting in his kitchen. He's like, well, I don't know. I've had, let's see, I'm up to four. And then he was like, four, five, six. I don't know, like seven. That's what he said. That's the guy's said. an idiot, man. I read this book last year because people kept asking me, what do I think of Peter I Zion? thought it was a good I'm book. Like, I'm like, I, I'm like I, I don't know. Let me read his book, which I did when I was down in Mexico watching, you know, Governor Abbott's like, we're closing the border and all this. And I'm like, no, you're not. I'm, I'm here at the border in Mexico, like reading Peter Zayn's idiotic book while the border is just being flooded over. I mean, it's like information wars. Unbelievable. Peter Zayn's over there talking about, you know, you know, we have plenty of room in the United States where, you know, everybody's, you know, it's not exactly how he said it, but that's what he said. And then he's insulting people that, that don't take the jab. I mean, he's insulting them in his book. I'm talking a book that came out in 2022. If you don't actually get in the year 2023, we're in 2023 now. If you don't actually understand it, this thing is dangerous. You're so deep into that information war. That I think he's they, tied to some powerful groups or CIA. I, not CIA. I, he's part of something. He's very pro the war. He's very like. He's, yeah. It, it, anyway, he's a clown. He's a you know, and, 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 and again, I don't. I, I, 
as a war correspondent, I spent so much time in war watching people get their faces blown off and whatnot. I just don't have a sense of humor anymore for clowns. I don't have a sense of humor for Zayon. I don't, I, I'm not going to sit here and say, now, nah, you know, we have a difference of opinion. No, you're pushing the jab and it's 2023. It's clearly a death jab. It's clearly a weapon, right? Even Dr. Malone, I like him. He's on our side. He's, he's clearly trying to, but he won't go that extra mile and say what it actually is. This is clearly a biological weapon. That is very obvious, right? Now, the, the Thai princess, I happen to have an office in Thailand. I happen to, if you web search my name in Thailand or Prime Minister of Thailand, you'll see all kinds of me in Thailand running around the Prime Minister. Office. I mean, I, I, I know a lot about the situation. Within hours of her going down, I was saying, I was the first one saying she's brain dead. She is brain dead. The princess is brain dead, period. She's on an ECMO machine now. She's on kidney and other machines. She's for sure brain dead? She we is 100% brain dead. I know that. She is brain dead, right? Her body is alive, right? And I've been saying that since within maybe 48 or 72 hours, right? So I've been saying it since the beginning. Now, I see people keep reporting she had three jabs. My very insider knowledge, she had two jabs. She had two Pfizer, two AstraZeneca, right? And so, uh, so I mean, this is... Yeah, this is as good as the information gets. Not but her family's finding out, though, like the truth about all this, and they're they're supposed to like nullify the Pfizer contract, and there's going to be no. You're, you're like, I heard there's some things going down there where they might blow up the whole thing. There they're are really some, finding out the there, truth. There, there are some. Uh, as of about three days ago, uh, very insider sources were telling me in Thailand were telling me they don't think that they're going to go after Pfizer. This is super, super insider sources. However. About eight hours ago, another incredibly good source, incredibly good source, said that, let me be careful what you, words I use. I mean, but uh, I want to tell you the truth, but I can't uh, reveal my uh, sources. But, but it looks like Switzerland and Thailand might actually uh, go for a lawsuit. We'll see. Now, I've, 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 I've been telling people for the last about week, it doesn't look like they're going to do it, right? Uh, but now, as of uh, as of today, it looks like they actually might. Wow! I mean, that would that would shatter the whole dam, might. wouldn't it? Wouldn't that... It's a might. If... It's not a. It's not a. It's not a done deal. What What would be the reason to, to the, for them to hold back? Is it Is it be, like like basically the big pharma situation? The way I understand it is they're just an extension of Barda that that created it. It was just a distribution arm. They're really not responsible for all this. They well, were just a distri- it... They were cat. They folded into the government. Is what happened. <laughs> well. It... Well, uh, having spent years in Thailand and covering conflict and that sort of thing over there, uh, it's actually hard to imagine that the Thai royal family is not uh, also profiting from the jabs. Uh, that's not an insult to the Thai royal family. That's just reality. I mean, I don't even see how they could not be. How, how could they not be financially benefiting from that? You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. Now, now it, I, I would say one thing is quite interesting. If you, if you are somebody who thinks you're in the club, you're in the WEF club, and yet you got the jab, you got the jab, and it wasn't like intentionally uh, saline or something, right? But you really got the jab out in the wild. You're not in the club. You're not in the club. You're not in the club of, of what they, you know, is, is, you know, meant to be the ultimate survivors of this thing because you got suckered. And you got You're not shot. in the club anyways, <laughs> to be you honest. Shot. Like, like Robert Malone said, he got two of the Moderna shots, right? And this is a guy who's a vaccinologist, right? I mean, you know, I mean, there are a lot of highly educated Elon Musk. I mean, very like, highly educated. You know, I don't know if that's true. 
don't know if I believe him. I, I, just going to say. I'm wondering, Elon, he's telling the truth. I mean, he just knows Bill Gates can't go after him because he knows the building get in. So he's, I, there's no way Elon Musk, come on. There's no, no way. There's no way. No, the, 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 here's the thing. The more you study about information war, the more, the more possibly you see that actually it is that he actually did it. That is the thing. The, the more you understand about the dynamics of information war, the more you realize is you don't know who's going to fall for things until you really get into contact with the enemy, so to speak, right? You don't know who's. But we've who learned the that you don't the know past who's couple who's years. Who's but I mean, you it has nothing that. to do with intellect. Nothing to do no. with intellect. The more you study the information war, the more you'll be like, "We're not going to no. know until we go dukes up. Who's really going to go dukes up? You know, we're not going to know who's really going to resist. Why did I and and Chuck and so many of the others? Why did we intuitively know? And we're not virologists." And we're not vaccinated. I just thought it was obvious. That stuff. I, I didn't even know about information war. It seemed obvious. It, it seemed very it, obvious. It, it, for me, it was obvious from, numer from numerous different <laughs> angles. From numerous angles, it was obvious. One was before the pandemic, I had read about 40 books on pandemic, about four zero, oh. right? And during the <laughs> lockdown, I read 20 more. And I'm reading another one now on the airplane. I was reading one on the leprosy book. And so, and, and the, you know, so for me, I know what happens when you rush cures or, or remedies out. They blow up like the space shuttle, right? You push it, you push it beyond the red limit, it's going to blow up. You're going to have a mistake. And that is another thing that's just like you can count on it. You know, rushing up, like, you know, even in this leprosy thing, that I'm, uh, that leprosy book that I'm reading now, about the, the lepre, the, you know, the, the colony in Molokai, you know, uh, they tried some remedy. Second dose killed this guy. I just read it this morning on the airplane. <laughs> it's just like, you know, and, uh, and nobody even knows what the medicine was. But or or, or, or in, the, in the 1890s, you know, it happened with Robert Koch with the remedy. There's a great book on that called The Remedy about tuberculosis, right? Anyway, uh, bottom line, I heard there's a big breakout of tuberculosis on in Ukraine on the front lines. I'm sure there that? will be, and it'll be MDR. Yeah. It'll be multi drug resistant, right? There's really great books on tuberculosis. I suggest reading uh, The Remedy. Read that one. That's a good book on tuberculosis, and you'll see how Robert Koch, you know, Robert Koch Institute, you know, my father, I mean, he's you know, he's like the uh, you know, the more you study, the more you realize who was the Fauci of his time, you know? Uh, you know? And so, interesting, th this is the thing. You never know who's going to actually fall for this stuff until you just dukes up, go for it, you know? And, uh, and some people, and, and, and again, education doesn't see, for me, there's numerous, I had numerous resistances to taking it. One is I had read so much on knowing how things just go wrong when you rush it. So that was one resistance. And another is I've studied information war for years, and I can see the techniques that they're using. I'm like, dude, this is an information war. Uh, why are they doing this? You know what I mean? They're doing something that, you know, uh, it's, you know, Robert Malone, bless his heart, uh, you know, he's always talking about, uh, well, you know, they, you know, they just disregarded the normal safety things and blah, 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 and never takes that next step and says, actually, it's a weapon. You know, the reason they're pushing it into people and still are, now this is, to me, doctor obvious that they're killing and sterilizing as many people as possible. It's that eugenics at the highest obvious. level. That's just it's doctor obvious. And, but, but people aren't taking it remember, anymore. But remember, Doctor Malone. If you look at his, it, it is, and, and I like the guy. He's on our team. But I'm. But you have to recognize who is on, who is vulnerable to this stuff. He took. He says he took two Moderna, and this is a guy who developed these things for his career. He's an insider. And yet he fell for it. You never know who's going to fall for it. And, and, yeah, and he's a and, deep state type guy. 
for sure. Yeah, something the way he talks, and, and so so you you just never know where the lines are. Uh, Trump uh, Trump continues to push it in twenty twenty three. He can, and there's no way around it. And it really I have a theory on that. I, it really angers people when I say that. I'm like, I'm just a war correspondent, and I'm not going to sit here and say, yeah, but Trump's such a great guy. He's never been a great guy. I've never even liked him. But he did stand up on the border, which is what any basic president should do. He did stand up against China. I would have been 10 times the hawk he was. But he did he did something that the others weren't doing. So he gets all this credit, like he's a superstar. And he's really just doing basic uh, uh, basic stuff that any corporal should do. You know what I mean? You know? It's like the other side being obsessed with everything. So I have a theory on this. This is a, this is a newly found theory with Trump pushing it. He he knows, okay? He has to know. I think that he knows that the media goes opposite of whatever he says. So if he says something, they counter. And so he's saying that it, I'm not. Listen, I'm apolitical. I'm not Republican, Democrat, Independent. I don't. I think it's all a joke. It's all a, a big charade. It's all fake. But I think what he's doing is, my theory is, is that he's saying, oh, I've saved 100 million lives, the best thing ever, because then that's the way for the truth to come out, for them to say, oh, you know, you can't give Trump credit. But what's crazy is he came up with Operation Warspeed. He was responsible for it. And the amount of people, especially the people who hate him the most that took it, it was like insane numbers, like 90% or something. It was like insane. Well, there's some people that are watching this right now, and they'll go, no, no, Michael, you're a fool, because Trump didn't actually make it mandatory. All right, okay. That's a very low bar. Pablo Escobar, <laughs> you know, Mr. Cocaine Guy, he didn't make cocaine mandatory. I said that publicly. People are like, whoa, you can't compare Donald Trump to Pablo Escobar. I'm like, why not? I just did. Because Pablo Escobar did not make cocaine mandatory, right? But he did make it available, right? You know, you know. I mean, let's just face it. It's not a perfect, Oh, no, he's responsible for it. It's not 100%. A, it's not a perfect example. He claims it. He's like, I'm the godfather of the match or whatever. <laughs> This is all in the open. It's like, and, and, and I cannot accept that. You know, and if he's doing, remember, he did all these things, you know, to get elected and be there. And then when it came time, bam, take the jab. This is a clear weapon. And when it came time for the actual jab, this, the, I, it's like getting shot. Dr. Malone has been shot twice by the jab. Bam, bam. He's hit twice in the arm already. Many are like that. They've been hit. Now, and, and a lot of these people are, Highly intelligent. A lot of them are very good people. And for whatever reason, they fell for it, right? Many have wisened up since then after they got the shot. Will there be an effect on them? We don't know. You know, and people will say, well, you know, it's being tested. No, it's not. Or if it's been tested, it was tested before this ever happened. You know, look, look. We're in the experiment in real time. I mean, this is it. Are we? This is the trial. Are we? Are we? Or was it already tested years ago? Uh, And it's uh, doing, that's uh, what I'm saying. This is. You know, in, in talking about all the spike proteins and all this other nonsense, I, you know, I, I told some, some scientists and whatnot in a private chat the other day, this is what it looks like to me. You guys are all talking about all this mumbo-jumbo garbage, right? That's like me sitting here going, well, Composition B is, you know, in the explosive that they're dropping out of the B-52s over my head, you know? And <laughs> now when the Composition B blows up, this is the chemical resultants and how much energy and how many joules you know, and this is the blast radius, and it's going to go, you know, 25,000 feet per second. I'm like, dude, they're dropping bombs. I, you know, I mean, seriously, <laughs> it's like being a, a like a, a house is on fire, and the chemist is like, well, you know, these curtains, the chemicals that the curtains give off are chlor, whatever, carbons or something. You know, it's like the house is on fire. You're getting the shot. It's a weapon. 
Stop talking don't. about all this mumbo jumbo. It's distracting. It's a clear weapon. I mean, seriously, you need to talk about that at some point. But the point that we need to be talking about is stop the jab. Period. I think stop that's leaking out. I, I it's believe kind of people, slow, especially people are not taking very slow, very especially slow. when you, yeah, as people take it and little kids are dying. Right. And but as Trump, that's not cool. Pushing yeah. it, right? It's not not cool. It's no, it, I, it's it, the, yeah. that's what I meant. But but I think that this is what ultimately this is leaking out. I think it's inevitable. There's too many people telling the truth out there and it is seeping. I, I'm I, I'm realizing amongst people who would never Why even entertain the idea. It should have broken oh, like I, a massive bam. It should have never. No that, shot should have ever gone into any. But but that's why I'm saying I can't believe how effective the censorship was over the past three years that they were able to get into so many people because yeah. it was mind blowing that people were telling the truth. But it worked. Mm. They censored mm. all the platform. I think it's great. Do you think this is Read like the final straw? Read Rape of the Mind. I think this is the, I truly believe this is going to be like the great awakening of all time where the information war is like cracked forever, where everyone's going to realize yes that they've no. been, that. Yes and no. Again, the more you study these things, the more you realize that the people that keep falling for it will keep falling for it. Not everybody. Some people will awaken. Sure. And then, and then, a small part. And then, you know, and then it'll be the suckers born every day. Blah, blah, blah. You know, it's like it, it, there will, it will continue. I mean, all we can do is vaccinate as many people as we can by teaching them the techniques, the martial arts techniques, read rape of the mind. What's the name of the title? Everybody's watched this already. You know, that guy keeps saying it. What's the name of the title? Rape of the mind. Read it, right? And once you read that, you're going to, there's your vaccine. And it's useful for a lot of other stuff besides just this, because you're constantly being hit with these things. You're going to see these techniques and you're going to be able to counter a lot of them. You'll be, able, and the more you see that, the better at this you get, the more you're going to be able to read the playing field, right? So there's numerous reasons why I didn't take it. One is I've read so many books on five dozen books on pandemic. I just know that this rocket always blows up. You know, when you rush the stuff, when you rush, rush the remedy, it blows up every time, right? Uh, when you, you, there's some, you can't rush cooking a turkey. You can't cook a turkey in five minutes. You know, it takes time. And, and you can't do these vaccines. Or, you know, this isn't a vaccine. It's a fake vaccine. That's called it what it is. It's gene, and, gene therapy. Yeah. And, and, and uh, it's a weapon. Is it a gene therapy or is it a weapon? I mean, it's a weapon, right? It's a clear weapon. If it wasn't a weapon before, it's a weapon now, right? You know, I mean, it's like a butter knife. You're like, well, what's that? That's a butter knife. And I'm like, well, if you're stabbing somebody with it, it's a weapon, right? And, 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 and this is a clear weapon. It's been weaponized, right? Whether or not it was designed as a weapon, time will tell. It's pretty obvious to me that it was designed and deployed as a weapon. And it's employed every day right now. So it's been deployed, and now it's being employed as a weapon. And, and people are falling all over the place on the football fields and soccer fields and basketball and lady on the comedian making fun of the, non-vaxxed people and collapses and smacks her head. You know what I mean? And that's all. I, yeah, yeah. That's that's actually Dr. Drew's patient. But uh, uh, and also the owner of the Bills, ironically, just found out her daughter's a famous tennis player came out today talking about her mom six months ago, like got a heart attack. Same thing as Damar Hamlin. She's the owner of the team. Yeah. So, yeah, it's all. So do you think that this generation do you think like do you think the boomers are going to when we look back in 300 years are going to have a better uh, quality of life than the next generation now? Like this is the, this is deglobalization. Things are changed. Like we're not controlling the middle East and all over the world. Do you think things are going to get actually better? Or are you kind of seeing like a dark ages type scenario? You're asking me to look way too far in the, my headlights are not that bright. All right. You know, all right. My headlights were bright enough to know not to take the jab. 
they were plenty bright. I was like, that's so obvious. I can't. And they ran into it. It's like, you know, hit the brakes. Uh, bam, they ran into it again. It was like, and let's go for the next jab. And then there's Peter Zan flipping his hair back, you know. Uh, I'm walking in the mountains of Colorado now, you know. Uh, let's get another jab. The guy's a fool. You know what I mean? Seriously, just call him what he is. I mean, seriously, he needs to be, like, ignored. I shouldn't use terms like that. But, you know, I'm just so tired of this delicate language when we're in a state of war and people are dying all around us. You know, it's literally unbelievable body count that's stacking up. What's this going to do to fertility? Nobody knows. It's clearly affecting it. Now, if you look back and look at the things I published in 2020, which people have been doing, trying to catch me out on stuff, and, and it's like, uh-oh, Mike was saying it very clearly in March of 2020, don't take the jab. That's me, Mike. I was saying very clearly, don't do it. I was saying, I was saying utterly clearly in May of 2020, don't do it, right? I was saying in January and February, I was one of the very first people saying it looks like we have a pandemic on our hands. Steve Bannon called me up. I was in Hong Kong before the Chinese kicked me out of there. I was covering the fighting for seven months and they kicked me out. They should have kicked me out after seven days. Seven months. <laughs> I guess they're MSF, which is like their CIA. It's not as good as they're made out to be. But I mean, you know, but the, uh, but the, uh, the but, you know, the, I was watching this unfold in, in late uh, uh, 2019. I was getting some signals. I thought, Signal of the noise is, is difficult to, especially in that beginning phase. You're like, am I really picking up signal here? Am I see, what am I seeing in the dark? Am I just seeing my imagination? Or, but I was picking up some signal in, in December of 2019. I thought there might be something going on. Because every day when I wake up, I have my own battle update briefing. I'll, I look at H5N1. I look at all the, I've been looking at that for years. Now you see all the chickens with the h one And so the, uh, you know, I've been, every day I wake up, I look at typhus. I look at different things, right? And um, and uh, in in, Jan in December of 2019, I'm like, oh. mm -hmm. and then January of 2000, early January, I, I bought masks. I didn't say anything to anybody because I don't want to sound crazy. And and I bought as many masks as I could get. But this was before we realized the masks were nonsense. But I had real masks. I mean, you see the mask I'm wearing. It I saw a picture. It was you saw when they were kicking me out the mask. I'm like, <laughs> I wear a proper. People are like masks don't work. And I'm like, you didn't see my mask. Bad work. <laughs> just like, you were in like a like, bio ward facility. Your mask might not work, but mine did. <laughs> it's like, and, uh, trust me. And so, and uh, and so, um, uh, I don't play, man. When I wear body armor, no. it will stop a bullet. It's uh, it's true. Go look up a picture uh, of Michael Young with this mask. mask. It mask was... is, you know, body armor. And uh, so, uh, <laughs> so, uh, and uh, and so, but in in January of 2019, that was when Bannon called me. I think he goes, "Do you think?" there's a pandemic unfolding. And I'm like, I don't know, but I'm wearing a mask. And, um, and, <laughs> and I, enough that I'm wearing a mask, but I don't want to go public with it yet. Cause it's still on that Overton window edge. And I'm, I'm actually, I'm not sure there's too much signal to noise here. And then in, in about maybe January 17th or 18th or 19th, that's when I was like, I think there's a pandemic. And I started saying that publicly. Right. And then I started, you can see me in public wearing my mask, right? You see me getting on the airplane and they kicked me out of Hong Kong wearing a nitro and stuff. People are like, what are you doing? I'm like, I don't know. And it's like, <laughs> it's like, I just like to wear Halloween. And so, you know, and, um, <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, and then, you know, we get into February and I start warning about potential famine. I was warning about that in January. And that's only because of years of studying war, because I know pandemic, famine, war, they always go together. 
And that's the only reason. It wasn't because of picking up any actual signals on that. It's just like warning about if I see a fire in the far distance, I know there's going to be some smoke. I don't have to smell yet. There's smoke over there. Anyway, I should let you go. We got uh, Chuck's here. And, uh, and so my, I, I really appreciate you doing this, especially on a short schedule. Where can people find uh, your work uh, and find you online? Uh, they can find me on locals.com and you don't have to pay anything. People say, Oh, you got to pay. No, you don't just, you can, I think you have to put your email in or you can find me on Twitter. I put things on Twitter, but I'm on locals.com. I put things on locals all the time. In fact, I, I put up Chuck's uh, drones from the Haitian border, Dominican Republic border. I call it the anti-Haitian wall. Somebody got angry yesterday. <laughs> Why do you call it the anti-Haitian wall? You know, because it's an anti-Haitian wall. It's not there to keep out the dogs. It's not there to keep out the goats. It's not there to keep out the elephants. There's no elephants there. It's there to keep out the who lives over Haitian. Okay, it's an anti-Haitian one, right? <laughs> I mean, maybe right, so- it's not delicate enough, but you know, it is what it is, and we need to start calling things what they are, and because this is what's leading people into the death spiral. Right? All right, let me let you go because we're it's time for us. All right. To- all right. all right. Well, thanks for doing it. And uh, I'll link all the stuff below so uh, you guys can all find it. All right. All right, everybody. Thanks. Thank you Bye. for inviting me. Bye. Absolutely, man.